Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to the dog show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today. A fine day to take your dog for a walk. It's Pride weekend this weekend. How fun is that? There's actually a lot to look forward to this weekend. Uh, In addition to Pride weekend here in Seattle, we also have the Dog Film Festival Sunday afternoon and evening. How cool is that? I'm going to be talking with Tracy Hotchner, who is the, the mastermind behind this event She's also the host of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, as well as a host of other shows and the Radio Pet Lady Network. You can find her at RadioPetLady.com. We'll be talking with Tracy in just a few minutes. So there's kind of two big big things for me uh, going on this weekend, uh, you know, to celebrate. We have Gay Pride, which, of course is uh, near and dear to my heart and uh, love going out and celebrating love with my community. And then we have the Dog Film Festival, which we'll be getting into in depth on today's show. Um, I just wanted to say something. Um, So Sunday morning is the Gay Pride Parade downtown Seattle. And this month's Pride celebrations all over the country have been especially poignant as we grieve and process the tragic mass shooting in Orlando that happened just a week and a half ago. I play softball on a women's team every spring, and we just had our last game last Sunday. And the league is made up. It's a women's team. Softball is pretty much synonymous with, well, women's softball anyway is pretty synonymous with lesbian. So the league is made up of probably 90 to 95% of gay women, me being one of them. After our game, the umpire called both teams to the home plate and led us in a moment of silence for the victims of the Orlando shooting and their families and friends. As I stood there holding hands in a circle with the other team, with my head bound, bowed and my eyes closed, my eyes welled up. They welled up the same way they did when I first learned of the shooting, which was also the same day that my grandmother died, Sunday, June 12th. I had stayed the night with her in her room for the third night in a row. Hospice had been visiting daily. Nana was no longer able to communicate. She lay in her bed, breathing rhythmically, her breath much shallower than the days prior. I left the room that morning to get coffee after just a few hours of sleep, and I heard that there was some breaking story on someone else's television in the halls of the nursing home. I went back to our room and sat next to Nana's bed, and turned on the TV, saw there had been a mass shooting, and then saw that it had been at a gay bar. And I hung my head and wept, and my mom watched my reaction from across the room. I came out to my grandmother when she was 100. That was two years ago. I told her I was gay, to which she replied after a pause to each his own. It didn't really matter to her. I'm not sure if she fully understood what I was talking about, um, not because she had dementia or anything, but just because she was born in 1914. But she didn't really care. What mattered was just that we loved each other a lot. At 1.44 in the afternoon, the day after the Orlando shooting, I watched my grandmother take her last breaths beautifully and gracefully. What can possibly be so hateful about love? 
This Pride weekend, I reflect on what I'm proud of and how grateful I am that I have found strong pride in a part of myself that used to feel I used to feel so much shame about. I'm proud of my marriage and my wife. I'm proud of how we have grown together and how through our commitment to each other, we are both better human beings. Darcy and I challenge each other in ways that foster growth and healing. We love our dogs. We love everybody's dogs, <laughs> especially our own. They're our family, along with our goats and our chickens. We love each other. There's no shame in that, and certainly nobody deserves to die because of who they love. My wife and I celebrate one of our biggest passions that we share together, which is dogs. So after a weekend celebrating our love and our beautiful, courageous community, we will land on Sunday afternoon at the Dog Film Festival at SIF. And we can't wait, and we hope that you join us there. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Tracy Hotchner of the Dog Film Festival and Dog Talk and the Radio Pet Lady Network. She's also the author of the Dog Bible and the Cat Bible. Can't wait to talk to her. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified eco-friendly and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage on Vashon Island, we cover the world of animals. This week, June 26th, it's an Encore Vet Sunday with our favorite Animal World vet, Dr. Bill Burlingame. He's an expert on the best immune system support for both animals and humans. He uses a very balanced approach and is a wealth of information and tells us how to eliminate the radiation your cell phone emits. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk. AM 1150. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> the Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options, 
to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. And now back to the dog show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and I'm thrilled to welcome Tracy Hotchner of the Radio Pet Lady Network and the Dog Film Festival onto the show. Tracy, welcome to The Dog Show. Well, you're a hard act to follow, Miss Julie. Man, <laughs> that was some introduction. I'm like, ooh, I'm like sort of like coughing and spluttering and <laughs> my nose is running, and that was really moving. Mm, thank you. Really touching and, and beautifully put, and there are so many aspects to how we express our love, yeah. and none of them are bad, <laughs> you yeah. know? Agreed. They're all good. For a lot of us, the dogs bring out the best in us, and then it makes us better with humans. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So that was that was beautifully said, and I'm very excited to meet you and Darcy, and maybe some of your dogs are going to come to the film festival, since it's one of the only rare places in America where the theater, I'm, where I'm traveling around, the Petco Foundation has given me this wonderful grant because they really do understand that the point of this is to explore filmically, kind of artistically, the remarkable bond between dogs and their humans, and that bond is L-O-V-E. Right. And the Petco Foundation is all about adoption and all about, you know, uh, they're, they're in the business of love is how they look at it. So it's kind of fantastic to be coming on Pride Weekend when it's a really important time to just remind ourselves that there's no color or shape or gender or even species to love. Any kind of love that you can have and experience is For sure. all good, right? Yeah, and the timing is great because it's the afternoon and evening of Sunday of the Pride weekend as the Pride festivities for a lot of people are sort of winding down after the parade. It's actually yes. right in the same neighborhood of Seattle Center, and which is kind of the main hub of all the Pride festivities on Sunday. And then you guys are going to be at SIF which is just a few blocks over on Queen Anne. Exactly. I mean, we did, uh, I was planning on having it earlier, but months ago they said, uh, not a great idea. Yeah. Pride Parade, well, I, I don't want to be competing with something I want to support and yeah. I want to, you know, cheer for. And also maybe everyone will be a little weary from yelling and screaming and, you know, marching yeah. and, and hooping and hollering and they'll go, oh, it'd be nice to be in a nice, comfortable seat with our dog and look at some incredible movies. Yeah, so this is something that you can take your dog to. Of course, dogs who would enjoy being around, you know, other dogs and people and all that good stuff. Um, We are undecided if we will be bringing one of our pack, um, but we look forward to seeing everybody. You're a pack of five, aren't you? Six now, and goats and chickens. Well, the goats and chickens, no offense, are really generally not all that welcome. The goats would just eat the seats. <laughs> no. But yeah. it'd be great to have some of the dogs. But, you know, it's, it's sort of like a busman's holiday for a master dog trainer like you. It's like, really, do I need to make sure my dog is on his or her best behavior yeah. because that's who I am? Or 
do I just want to leave them home to gnaw on a smartphone and, you know, call yeah, it a day? Exactly. Right? Yeah, we'll save the goats for the Goat Film Festival that I'm sure is on the heels of the oh, dog absolutely. Film yes, yes. That's about 24,500 years down the road. <laughs> I must say that, that I was a little blown away by how many incredible films I found, short films, that had dogs in them as their theme. Yeah. When I had this idea... It was sort of on the tail of the Cat Video Festival, which I didn't participate in. But, of course, I read about it. And on my, my own radio show, I think even on Cat Chat, which is a show that was on Sirius XM for, for seven and a half years. Maybe some people remember it. Well, I'm, I'm sure they remember it. It was on Sirius XM on the Martha Stewart channel for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I had fantastic callers, about 50% of whom would call and go, is it okay if I ask a dog question? I'm like, of course you can ask a dog question. Yeah. But... Um, I, I did talk to people who were they're sort of the, the minds behind the Cat Video Festival, and I hope nobody thinks I'm being a grouch or a grump, but I actually really don't like pet videos online. I find them to be very frequently shaming and ridiculous, and, oh, look at how so funny the dog tried to get in the dog door with a stick that was too big and, you know, fell down. and like, that's yeah. not funny to me. No, I, I, you know? I agree. Yeah. So, so for me, the Cat Video Festival... I, you know, it was a big success, and everyone loved it. They could have just sat and watched them at home. Maybe they already had seen them. They wanted the group experience of loving cats, mm-hmm. whether it was cats falling from a great height and landing on their feet or falling headfirst into a bowl of milk or looking grumpy or whatever they did. Really, from what I could gather, it was not so much the content. It was more the experience of sharing the kind of celebration of the cat. So I wanted to find a way that dog lovers could do that other than a dog park where you stand around with your takeout coffee and hope that, you know, you don't step in dog do, that someone picked it up, that two dogs over there that look like they're going to get into it don't get into it. Something a little more, um, like, cerebral and a little more emotional. Mm -hmm. And I really found some amazing movies, Julie. Well, there's so many. I was looking at the lineup, and it was like, oh, you know, there's it's going to be a film or two. And then I look at the lineup, and there's, like, uh, just a, a list of a, this one and this one and this one. It's like, oh, my gosh, the variety is really cool. That was what I discovered was that there were, we all sort of think, well, we know there'll be a documentary, but will it be happy or sad or boring? So there were some that were all those things, but the boring ones didn't make the cut. But then there were narrative films, films that were made with a script and with actors and, you know, mm-hmm. costumes, although they were modern days, so it was probably just someone's own clothes. And then some animated ones. I mean, really gifted, talented animators. So, and I made it short films. In the beginning, I thought, well, you know, if you don't like the first one, just sit still. Then you might like the next one more. It yeah. was, you know, people have said, oh, so you're going to show Rin Tin Tin? Oh, do show Best in Show. I'm like, no, 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 this <laughs> is to surprise you. It's like you're going to go on a cruise and there's going to be this buffet and you're just going to stand there and it's just going to move in front of you. Yeah. you Everybody's seen Best in Show like 20 times already exactly. anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, it, you know, it's delightful. Uh, no one no one would doubt that. But wouldn't it be more amazing, in fact, it is more amazing, to just discover these little gems, anything, some are 30 seconds, some are, the longest one is the William Wegman film, which he graciously had remastered for this film festival. And those of people that are kind of film buffs know what that means. It was made many decades ago. And it is completely acted by four of his wives wearing full costumes wow. with people hands behind them. And he narrates the whole thing 
in this kind of flat, deadpan, kind of garrison keeler kind of voice, mm-hmm. the Hardly Boys arrive at the lake house. Well, they're Hardly Boys because they're dogs and they're girls. And then these dogs get out of this woody station wagon in full costume. And one of them plays golf every day, so there's a whole hilarious riff on golf and the meditation behind it, and the other two are trying to solve a mystery, and they ride a canoe. And it's like, oh, my God, the the inventiveness is just delicious. And then there's a bunch of documentaries, many of which have, you know, rehoming, shelters, rescues, transports as the theme that's being followed. Mm -hmm. And just you think, oh, I think I know what this, okay, I know where this is going. And then it doesn't go exactly where you think, which is, I think, what's great about any kind of art form, but film in particular. You know, it engages you, and you think, ah, yeah, I I think I've seen this movie, so to speak. And then, no. You you have an experience that's very different than what you were anticipating. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's really quite magical. I feel really, honestly, very blessed by some dog angel that got all these movies to me or got these filmmakers to find me and send me the movies. So there are two programs. And one thing that's hard for people to understand is it's not two showings of the same program. Right. It's two completely different programs. Yep. So you have to uh, be willing to get up and do some jumping jacks, you know, go grab a coffee, uh, you know, stretch, do some yoga in the aisles so that you can stay for the second one. Yeah. Of course, if the dogs get out of your way. Yeah. So I have a question because, um, you know, when I started this show, it was about seven and a half years ago. And I and in the world of uh, certainly podcasting, it's a different world. It was a different world back then. And when I was, you know, I had this idea and I was like, OK, well, I'm going to look and see, you know, what else is out there. And your show was, you know, pretty much the only thing that was going on. I think you had been on the air for a few years at that uh-huh. point. Yep. Um, your show dog talk and, and then, um, you know, so now several years go by and, you know, here we are talking and I'm so excited to meet you and, you know, share this experience and support you in this effort. I think it's a, it's a fantastic idea. And I'm curious to know what, because you have a couple of, you wrote a couple of books that were published in the 80s on a, on a non-dog related topic. So, it, you know, around childbirth and pregnancy. And, yep. and I'm curious to know what um, sort of inspired you to go in the direction, assuming that you had sort of a course change at some point to start, you know, now you have all of this stuff going um, all of your shows, the Radio Pet Lady Network, and now the Dog Film Festival. But where did that inspiration for you to sort of focus your your life and career on dogs, where did that come from? Good question. And I think like so many things in the lives of cr- creative types or entrepreneurs, people who haven't got some letters after their name or, you know, like a, a job with a very nice 401k kind of thing. Right. Sometimes... You just follow the path where it takes you. Yeah. And I think if you set out with a clear idea in mind, that's all right, but boy, you got to be flexible. And you have to just be open to opportunity or be open to some crazy wild idea. Mm-hmm. So the answer is the only reason I wound up writing a book on pregnancy and childbirth that was called Pregnancy and Childbirth as if it was 
the book, which it wound up becoming, I was 25 years old. Mm. And I was newly married in L.A., and I was writing film and television, having given up trying to be an actress because, for me, just too thankless of a lifestyle, even at that fresh young age. And I was doing a lot of investigative journalism journalism pieces for the L.A. Times. I lived in L.A. for New New West, which was the version of New York magazine Mm -hmm. that was out in L.A. for five or six or seven years. And I knew a lot of other young couples. They were a lot of them in the movie business getting pregnant. And they would have these very divergent ideas. Home birth is the only way to go. They'll kill you in the hospital. Oh, you've got to go in the hospital. You'll die at home. Right. And these people were recounting what a midwife told them, what an OBGYN told them. And, and the message was so conflicting. Yeah. As an investigative journalist, it was like, well, wait a minute. You can't both be right. So something's wrong in the messaging that's being given to these pregnant women. So I did a little piece. Uh, I decided to, to compare childbirth in Northern California to Southern California, Northern being extremely hippy-dippy, mm-hmm. and Southern being uh, more straight-laced, if you will, sure. more middle-of-the-road, more conventional. And I wrote the article. These were small articles, you know, in New West magazine, and I was pretty fascinated by what I found out. So I did a little more digging and thought, I think I need to write a book about this because women are not being told the truth. Yeah. They're not even in charge of it. This was in the age, and I don't know if you're old enough to remember our bodies ourselves. Yeah, totally. But it was in that age where it was <laughs> like, oh, do have a look at your private parts. Yeah. Yes, they're yours. Get to know them. They're friendly. Don't be scared. <laughs> I think and, my parents gave me that book when I was an adolescent. Yeah, yeah. It was a fabulous book, but it was a time when women were supposed to, like, you know, not own their bodies, not take responsibility. Big male doctor men were in charge, right, you know, and right. you didn't say anything. And so I proposed this book idea to an agent in New York who was like, well, yeah, sure, you can write the book. And he said, well, the way you have to do that is read every other book that's on the subject. And if you read every other book that's on the subject and you still think you have a book which is better or different, you have to write a proposal in which you outline what every chapter will be about and describe how it will be different and better than the existing book. So mm-hmm. I did that with all the, uh, the kind of naivete of a 25-year-old who says, I can do that. And I wind up writing a book which sold one million copies. I actually came to Seattle, wonderful book tour back in the days when authors had book tours, and all over the news and Today Show, and they'd never had a non-medical person talk about a medical topic, much less a 27-year-old at that point. Right. So years go by. I did a few more books about pregnancy and childbirth. It was very interesting and very enjoyable. This is the years before email, before Internet. Mm. It was all word of mouth, and mm-hmm. Amazon didn't even exist. People actually went to bookstores. It was so strange. Yeah. So, you know, just like ancient days. So years went by, and I moved back from California to the East Coast, and my father, who's an author of many, many books at age 98, he just had yet another book published, um, had said to me, you know, that that book was amazing and you're so good at gathering information and making it really accessible and logical to people. You're so passionate about dogs. You should write a book about all the dogs that have been in your life. Like, yeah, you know, that's just too egotistical. That's not me. But I could do a pregnancy and childbirth for dog owners, like a book that's on the shelf, and anything you need to know, whether it's medical or psychological or behavioral or anything at all, you should be able to find it in there and have a great index and just look it up. Mm -hmm. So that was where the idea for that came from. 
and in being interviewed on the local NPR radio show in the Hamptons by a friend who had a live show called Live at the American Hotel. I mean, it was a quick interview, but the man who ran the station, who still runs the station, who's an older gentleman, one of the founders of NPR, originally back at USC in California, which is one of the very first NPR stations, he sort of said, well, would you like to do a show? And I said, oh, yeah, I could do a show called Dog Talk. <laughs> I knew nothing, nothing. Yeah, I hear you. I actually had done it as a podcast with a friend who totally ripped me off. She had a pretty good NPR show about jazz. She said, give me $1,000 a week. Oh, wow. I'm like, what? And I'll produce this for you. Just so you all are listening, you don't need to pay anybody. Yeah. You really don't. But it was sort of supposed to be talk between the two of us. She'd ask me questions that I'd answer. And it was kind of like, you know, the, the brothers from dog talk, uh, from car talk. Right. But it was dog talk. Except yeah. thing is she didn't know a first thing about dogs. So that really did work. Yeah. So we did that for a little while. And so I tell the NPR station manager, well, I have this show called Dog Talk. You could listen to a podcast. And he listened to it. And he said, well, I think you should do it alone. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't think I could. But I gave it a try. And oh, by the way. Let's do it live with a live open telephone line. (laughs) No pressure. I can do that because I didn't know that was like a craft that takes people a lifetime to develop. Mm -hmm. So as you can tell, I'm not at a loss for words. So, you know, I would just pick a topic, talk about it, and then I was, oh, I could have guests on. So I had one guest to show and the rest were call-ins. And then the NPR station lost its license at the local university and had to become self-sustaining. And so... It wasn't going to be live anymore, and then I moved to Vermont. And in the meantime, at the very first interview, the very first interview, I get an email from somebody saying, um, we're Martha Stewart Radio, and would you like to join our world? Mm-hmm. like, really? Sure, I don't know. So they wanted me to be their morning anchor. I said, I'm so sorry, but I can't live in New York City. I think I'd sooner die. I'm just a country girl. But I could do a show for you called Cat Chat because I have a new book coming out called The Cat Bible. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, okay, we have a free hour on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. East, 5 p.m. West. For seven and a half years, I just got on the air and did that wow. and had a ball. Yeah. So when that got canceled and then the idea, well, you know, I went backwards to podcasting. I didn't go from podcasting to terrestrial like you did because terrestrial radio is just a very strange beast. You know, how does it function? How do you make it work? So I had all these other co-hosts in mind. I thought, well, a show on cancer would be great. So I have the pet cancer vet. Mm -hmm. I really should have a show on food, the thing people are most interested in. Pet food advisors with a board-certified veterinary nutritionist. So I just, because of all the people I'd interviewed, both for Dog Talk, the radio show, but also for writing the Dog Bible, I had a lot of people in the field that respected me and knew that I understood whatever their specialty was. Yep. So that's how these other shows grew up. And so Cat Chat, when Martha Stewart's channel was canceled from one minute to the next, I just thought, well, I have to do cat chat. I can't leave all those people in the lurch, so I've just continued doing it. And I started them all out as hour-long shows, and then when I kind of dragged myself up off the floor, you know, like two, three, four, I got up to six shows, an hour-long each every week. Wow. I recognized that was probably not a way I could – I couldn't survive that. Eventually, I would, you know, collapse. Right. So now they're shorter, which is better for everybody. Because people do binge listen and download them, but 
it's asking a lot. So now I'm asking them to stay, you know, stick around for 20 minutes. Yeah. And they seem to be willing to do that. So that's the answer. You know, you, you kind of go down this path and you discover, I think the thing that keeps it fresh for me and keeps me really motivated is people's back to the topic of love. Their unbelievable devotion to and love for and desire to do right by their animals. And they don't really always have someplace they can go to get reliable information. It's either tainted by somebody's dollars, or by somebody's commerce, or by somebody's ignorance. Yeah. And both those things, you know, can be pretty frustrating. And I'm sure as a trainer, you have come up against people who saw something on television about throwing their dog on the floor and pinning its neck. And, you know, you have to waste the first half of your first lesson disabusing them of that idea. Or other people who have been told, oh, I don't need a dog trainer. I need a behaviorist. And you're like, who, who made up that word? Where did that come from, right? Mm. I mean, you, there's board-certified veterinary behaviorists who deal with severe cases and have to prescribe medication or, or, you know, electroshock therapy. I'm kidding. There is no electroshock therapy for pets. But dog trainers, a good one is a good dog trainer. But people, you know, people have been misinformed that, no, you don't need a dog trainer. You need a dog behaviorist. And then someone puts out a shingle and says, I'm a dog behaviorist. Come to me. I'm sure you've dealt with that in Seattle and even when you have national yeah. clients. Well, there is a uh, there is a difference between training and behavior. And, and it is true that a lot of dog trainers are actually not equipped to deal with behavior. But it is also true that this is still a largely, you know, unregulated industry. And so anybody can say... I'm a dog trainer or I specialize yeah. in dog behavior and just make it up. But, you you know, as opposed to a, a human therapist yes. or or any other vocation that has a clear set established route that somebody goes and it's hard. And one of the things that's, I think, so hard to. Uh, so hard to I mean, it's definitely changing a lot, especially with all of the. The, the actual science that's that's happening over the last decade or so of, of these studies that are being done about, you know, learning styles of dogs yeah. and play behavior in dogs and all that kind of stuff. So now we actually have some legitimate science to back up any sort of theory about this or that, but that every dog is different. They're just as yeah. different from each other as people are from each other. So I, I sort of laugh when people say, well, what kind of training do you do? And I'm like, well, who's the dog? Because... Right. You can't just fit every dog into this certain technique that maybe works for 20% of the dogs or whatever, you know. So it's it's interesting. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about that when you were talking about your pregnancy and childbirth and sort of what inspired that. And you're hearing this person says this thing and then the right. other person says, no, not that this. And, and yes. that happens a lot, as you know, in the world of dogs, you know. Um, I know you talked with uh, one of probably the most important books, I think, written about our lives with dogs is The Dog Merchants. And I know you talked with Kim Cavan on your show. Yes. And she's, you know, it's everybody's pointing fingers across a line. And it's like, hey, you guys, you know, this isn't working because there's still four million dogs a year that are getting euthanized because they have nowhere to go. So this technique of blaming each other obviously is not working. So why don't we take a different perspective on this? I think she did an excellent job with that book. Excellent. And, and pushing and pulling back the cover on this thing and the other thing where we, everyone has assumptions. Yeah. White hat, black hat. 
you just made a really interesting point when you said, well, there are people who want their dogs to be trained, but other people who want to understand their dog's behavior. And weirdly enough, it never had occurred to me that you would go to one would go to work with a dog trainer only to 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 do sit heel down stay. I've gone to dog trainers. I'm like, man, the arrival of other people at the door is really getting out of control. Right. Or these dogs barking at a bicycle going by when I'm driving. Well, I call all of it training, but yeah. it's really communication to understand why is the dog doing X and how can you mold that behavior to Y that you might prefer. Yeah. So I guess that's more behavior than training. Are you saying that people, when they say training, they think it's about heel and down and stay and that and that they only think that's why you go to a dog trainer just for those things? Uh, I think it's more so flipping the perspective of that, of the qualifications and experience of the professional. So I think people think I have I have a problem with my dog when people come over. I need a dog trainer and then they're going to, you know, uh, reach out to a dog trainer. I look at it as training is the education. This is what sit means. This is what down means. This is what weight on your rug means. This is right. what this is, you know, and teaching the dog. So it's more of like education. And that gives you tools to use in working with behavior. So I have a dog who is unmanageable when strangers come or, you know, when people come over who are unfamiliar to the dog. My dog, you know, uh, exhibits this behavior, barking, lunging, snapping, right. even biting. Training is the sort of that toolbox that we use to work on the deeper problem of the behavior, the dog's emotional experience. Right. Maybe they're fearful. Maybe they're overstimulated. You know, maybe they're just excited. And what yeah. training does is it provides them a direction for that energy to go to help them ground and calm. And it also gives the humans a way to, through giving the dog direction, establish with them, okay, if you are especially nervous or fearful, get good news. You don't, it's not your job to decide who comes through the door. I've got it. You, right. you wait on your rug, you know? Yes. And, and then, and then that message that you've taught the people, because of course dog trainers train people oh, much yeah. more than they train dogs. Yeah. That message one hopes would, would get uh, amplified across many other things like counter surfing sure. or any, any yes. other thing you might say. Yep. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, words have a lot of impact and how they're used. But I guess that's really what's interesting to me is that, you know, you, you also, around the issue of dog food, cat food as mm -hmm. well, it's the thing people are most interested in or most obsessed about or most worried about, and the thing about which there is the most misinformation. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and ignorance, whether it's you've got to feed raw only, throw those raw turkey wings on the floor, or, oh, no, I can only buy this dry stuff, and it doesn't matter what the ingredients are, but so-and-so said it'll clean their teeth or right. or whatever the claim is, you know, for feeding only a highly processed dry food and nothing else. Right. So, you know, it's the learning curve for all of us is fairly steep, and old habits die hard, people are raised a certain way with dogs, with a certain sensibility, whatever it may be, and it's hard for them to learn a new way. Or as you say, with dogs that are individuals, they grew up with the world's most, you know, laid back, I don't know, English bulldog, and then they they grow up and they have their own life and they, and they get a, 
I don't know, a Vizsla. I was going to say a short pointer. have no yeah. idea. Why would yeah. that be any different than that English bulldog you grew up with? Yeah. Who, you know, once in a while did get up and pee outside because it was better than peeing yeah. inside. Oh, I can't tell you how many people have said, you know, they'll have a dog who is having some sort of, um, is challenged in some way. And, uh, you know, and so they've, they have me out to work with them and they're just like, you know, I never, I don't remember my parents ever having to do this with our family dog. Yep. You know, I never, they never yep. had to do this or, or in some in some cases, health related stuff. You know, I never remember my, my dogs as a kid being, you know, sick all the time or having these chronic skin issues or digestive issues yep. or whatever that yep. is. And uh, part of it is just maybe they got lucky. And then the other part of it is just the, how the dogs and their, you know, genetically, how they've sort of uh, time has has not really been on their side in that way. That's right. Or or environmentally, there's a oh, lot yeah. more stress. There's a lot less just kids yeah. playing outside in the yard with them for hours at the end of every day. Yeah, you less know? space. Mm-hmm. The dogs are under a huge amount of stress, picking up all that human stress. Yeah, as well, right? Oh, totally. There's so much to it, and and in the meantime, there's also all this other really fantastic uh, work that's being done, and how. Um, People who I know we've we've shared some guests over the years, some of my favorite ones who are doing this work, um, Alexander Horowitz, Mark Beckoff, yep, Brian Hare, um, those those guys in the dog science, you know, the canine science world. And Nick Dodman's doing a whole study now that's actually free for people to participate in. Yeah. I should send you the link so you can send it to your listeners. He's got a you know, whatever, I don't know the name of it, but it's a it's a thing that has to do with your personality and your dog's personality. And mm-hmm. unlike Brian Hare's uh, dog thing you have to pay for, yeah. this is more like a crowdsourcing information yeah. thing. Cool. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to come back in just a few minutes talking more with Tracy Hotchner. Uh, she's got the Dog Film Festival this weekend, Sunday afternoon and evening. Go to dogfilmfestival.com, get your tickets, and we hope to see you there. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. I love my dog as much as I love you. But you may think my dog will always come through. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options, to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This summer, pack up the dog bowls and head to the Lodges on Vashon. Just a 20-minute ferry ride from West Seattle, Vashon Island is the perfect quick getaway for you, your family, and your furry friend. The Lodges on Vashon has 16 freestanding contemporary lodges, two communal spaces, and plenty of outdoor space to enjoy with your pooch. Go to lodgesonvashon.com for more information, because sometimes your dog needs a vacation too. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. All the pay I need comes shining through his eyes. I don't need no cold 
water to make me realize that I love my dog as much as I love Welcome back you. to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We're back with Tracy Hotchner talking about the Dog Film Festival this weekend, Sunday, June 26th at SIF, Seattle International Film Festival on Queen Anne, just a hop, skip, and a jump away from the Gay Pride festivities in Seattle Center. My wife and I will be there. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. That's a great lineup. There's a ton of variety. There's two uh, two separate screen times, and it is not the same show. It's two entirely different lineups. There's first one late afternoon, and then the second one early evening, and they are very different. So be sure to attend both. You can go to dogfilmfestival.com to get your tickets. You definitely want to buy these in advance, and uh, you can bring your dog. Of course, if you think it's an event that would be appropriate to bring your dog to, because there will likely be other dogs there, lots of people, crowds, children, all that kind of stuff. So you use your judgment. But if your dog would be into it, definitely bring them, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you there. So, uh, Can we talk about what any of the movies are? Or people, Maybe people are like, I don't know, what's a short about a dog going to be about? I mean, do you think that that's of interest to discuss a little bit what some of the topics are that are, that yeah. are covered. Yeah, I do. One of the things, one of the ones that I saw that I had, I'm familiar with the story and was excited to see that in the lineup was the story about that little boy with Hatchie. Oh my I know. God. I know. Oh, I mean, no idea how hard you're going to cry. You're going to be a choked up mess. <laughs> Talk Tell about. You're going to be a hot mess and we should really bring Kleenex. <laughs> Talk... Oh my God. God, I love that little boy so much. Talk about I love two that dog so much. two beings that were meant yep. to be together. It's an extraordinarily beautiful documentary, just beautifully made. Mm. Little boy in Britain, who his stepmother, young young parents, youngish, his stepmother uh, realized that this disability he had a horrible disease that makes all of his muscles rigid at all times. We can barely move his face and his hands and his limbs and yeah. he's tiny and his he's all his muscles are contracted all the time and he has to go in a wheelchair and th- they had a family dog they still had a family dog and for some reason again the dog angel smiled down on her yeah. and she was online doing what we all can't help ourselves but doing it's like retail therapy but we're on pet finder yeah. she was doing it in england and fell in love with this dog that was an Anatolian shepherd that had been tied to a train track, Julie. Yeah. And the train had run over his back leg and his tail, which had been severed. Wow. And the RSPCA had saved his life, amputated his leg. He had not any tail left. He was quite a depressed dog, as one might imagine. Yeah, right. In the, the shelter. And she just had this very strong feeling that this would be a dog that would change little Owen's life. Mm. And the film is about the way they interact, and this little boy, this little darling little boy, talking about what Hachi means to him. And then they go to the Crufts Dog Show, where they're nominated as Dog of the Year. Mm. And there's a, you know, there's a blind lady, and there's, I'm sure, someone who got saved from a burning building. And I'm not going to tell the punchline, but there he is in the spotlight in the middle of the world's oldest dog show. Yeah. And it's pretty incredible. It's, it's really, it's so moving. And then there's another, a couple of others about rescues that people are just mad for. One called 989 Miles, which is um, 
focuses on a tiny, impoverished shelter in Georgia that had been run by inmates of the prison, and they had a 98% kill rate. Dogs came in and were killed. Wow. And this woman had either had been volunteering somewhere else. I don't know how this woman, Jen, came to be there, but she runs it, gave up her apparently good career and profession, and turned it into a 90% live adoption rate by getting all these local people to drive these dogs from Georgia to the Northeast. And you see them in their cars talking about what this transport means to them. They give up their weekends. They can't wait. They pay for everything themselves. And it's pretty spectacular, I have to tell you. Yeah. It's a really fantastic film. And there's a, a very moving, strange and moving documentary called The Poodle Trainer, made by a, a wonderful uh, commercial filmmaker. In other words, he makes commercials, and then he makes his art pieces on the side with the money that he can sort of he has at his disposal from from making films for a living, but not necessarily what he'd want to make. That one caught my eye I, when I was looking at the lineup. I thought I thought, oh, that looks that looks really it's interesting. So cool. Yeah. This woman's Russian, and she's middle aged. She has this troupe of performing poodles who are her life. And their performance with her is incredible. Mm. They're every size of poodle, from mini to standard. And they do this marvelous circus act. But it's her talking to the camera, it's Russian and subtitled, about what dogs mean to her yeah. and what these dogs mean to her. And it's like, wow. And these dogs adore her, and it's beautifully shot. So it's pretty terrific. There's one called Myra and Prince, made by a a social worker in L.A. that works with the homeless and their pets. And I've always, and, and in fact, the man who made the poodle trainer is now, just to talk about a wonderful full circle, I had told him when I found the film and got in touch with him, it's never been seen uh, commercially or whatever you want to call this publicly, he just made it. Uh, I said, if you could do anything with a homeless person and a dog, it's just something that means a lot to me, I think socially, that the idea that, for a lot of homeless people, the only relationship they have in their life is a dog, mm -hmm. and they live in a car, or they live under a bridge, or they live in a cardboard box, mm -hmm. and that relationship is probably the lifeline they have to their own humanity often, mm -hmm. and people look at homeless people as some kind of disgusting debris, and they often feel very sorry for the dog. I mean, one has seen this happen. Oh, your poor dog. Yeah. Not, oh, poor you. Yeah. And then they even will say, oh, oh, uh, oh, let me get your dog. Let me take care of that dog for you. Let me go get that adopted out. Like, oh, take my right arm, my heart, my soul. Yeah. So he's going to follow around downtown dog rescue in L.A., which was one of my two beneficiaries there. I do want to say that, that in Seattle, the Petco Foundation, which is my, my national grant sponsor, chose the Seattle Humane Society, to which they'd given a grant and has put it to great good use as our beneficiary, because they're so vibrant in the community and they're so successful yeah. at homing and rehoming dogs. And in L.A., we picked Downtown Dog Rescue, which was not your typical recipient, as, she, as Lori Weiss pointed out herself, of, of a kind of a high-visibility fundraiser, because she works with the homeless on Skid Row in L.A., and she brings mobile vet clinic and a mobile spay-neuter and helps them get their their shots and get their, you know, their licenses even. People that have no address, they use her furniture factory in downtown L.A. as their address. And the, and Vance Malone, who made the Poodle Trainer, 
is, as we speak, following her around in that van, and she's going to help him choose a homeless person and a dog to to do a biography of, if you will, wow. for a film. So yeah. that's pretty cool. And the one we have, Myra and Prince, is a beautiful, elegant black woman who had been a showgirl and had done Whitney Houston and, mm. and other impersonations. And I think that, or they're not called impersonations, they're called whatever they're called. You know, you lip sync and you dress up like that person. Um, I think of drag queen, but that's I guess so. Except for that, she's female. Can right. you be a drag queen if you're doing fe- if you're female doing a female? I don't think. Well, that's a I good question. It's also you know in this day of fluid genders. Yeah, I was recently at something in New York, and I'm like, okay, so are they drag queens? They appear to be drag queens. Okay, they're men that have more beautiful arms and legs and bodies than most women. <laughs> are they? Men who want to be women? Are they men who just want to dress up as women? Do they have a penis? Do they still want to have a penis? I don't know what to say. They call themselves she, so I'm like, you're beautiful. You don't know what to say. Yeah. But this woman is a woman. I think she's always been a woman. And she gets this little cocker spaniel off from a drug dealer on the street. She'd become homeless because when Whitney Houston died, there was no longer any call for her impersonation, apparently. Oh, wow. Or some such part of the story, if you will. Yeah. And uh, they remained homeless because she couldn't find a shelter that would take Prince. Yeah. So she was sleeping in a sleeping bag with him on the street. And then, ironically, it was a Petco Foundation-founded shelter that was part of a past shelter for humans in L.A. where she was able to get housing because he could be in the shelter part. Yeah. And they eventually got, you know, assisted living. And and uh, and this film is marvelous. I mean... It, you see many different versions of human and uh, human dog love. Many different versions. Yeah. I've so always... it's also all child friendly, Julie, yes. which I think is important to point out. Yeah. That all of it could be seen by your child or your granny, including your hundred and one two year old granny, and I'm sorry for her passing, but it sounds like she had quite an amazing life. Yeah, she did. But the first um the first one is better for your younger kids only because the second one has quite a lot of subtitled films. Right. And that is a challenge for a kid who's just a school-age kid, and maybe it's hard to hear something. We have French, we have Russian, we have Spanish. So, you know, that just becomes frustrating maybe to a kid because they're trying to listen to something that's foreign to them, yeah. see the visual, and then read a subtitle. I mean, that's hard for some of us, some of we grown-ups as well, right? Did you ever see the, um, I'm just remembering this now, as a documentary, and I can't remember... For the love of dogs, or something like that, and it was—I uh, think it was a couple years ago, at least. I interviewed the mother of the boy who was featured in this documentary, and he has Asperger's syndrome. Oh, I'd love to see that film. I definitely don't know about it. And he has found a connection, a, a way to connect with people through his. Um, uh, obsession's not the right word, but uh, with, with the Asperger's mind, his ability to uh, retain information. and right. um, So he's he's just sort of focused that on the world of dogs and dog shows and dog breeds, and it shows him going around uh, one of the, I don't know if it was Westminster, um, but he's like, oh, that's... Um, that must be, you know, blah, 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 the name, like the kennel name of this particular, I think it was a Scottish Terrier or something like that. He knew the dog's kennel name. Oh, he knew the dog's whole history, like Whoa. like uh, uh, baseball fanatics know wow. all of the stats of players. 
Um, cool. His name was Corey, and I think it was called For the Love of Dog. Mm, but uh, I'll be the titles. This down. I'll be furiously jotting this down. It was fun. It was a really great documentary, a really great, you know, this was a way for him to connect with Love people it. through the information that he had about dogs and uh, would just go was, you know, walking through the dog show. And I'm like, well, I do this too, but not to the extent. I'm like, that's right. a blah, blah, blah. That's a blah, 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 you know. Um, that was a great one. That's really cool. Um, I would certainly give a shout-out if there's anybody that knows of a wonderful short dog film. Actually, for the second annual, which will start in New York in October and then work its way back around to Seattle and the rest of the country next year, uh, send it to me at yeah. thedogfilmfestival.com. I'm yep. sorry, thedogfilmfestival at gmail.com. Yeah. Because there's hidden gems everywhere. I'm definitely going to look for that one. Yeah. And sometimes there's ones that are really great, and maybe people have kind of seen it on the Internet for some reason or other. But to see some of these things, they're not dog-shaming videos. There's something about, you know, a bucket list of a, some guy that's dying and wants to do it with his dog. I mean, they're meaningful. Oh, yeah. But it's sometimes seen, that's Denali, sometimes seeing them together is a different experience. You yeah. Know? You're looking on your device in your hand or on your computer. You're rarely looking even at a TV screen, much less in a big dark room with a big screen and everyone having this shared experience. It's why people come together to listen to music, right, and, right. and other events that people do together. Because yeah. we're too divided by our busy little lives and our busy little devices, and everyone's so cut off from each other. This is really an amazing chance to... Share the love of something and 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 feel that among the other people. It's yeah. really quite it's quite it's quite it's quite awe inspiring to be there and and ha- and feel there when people are feeling it. You know. Yeah, and I should say too that this is this is uh, something that's happening all over the country. So if you're listening from another state, right, um, check and see where. Uh, the dog film festival might be coming near you because it's not just a Seattle thing. It's you're you're doing this all over the country. In fact, that's the, that's the case. And at the moment, we're mostly going to places where the Petco Foundation has given a grant to a shelter that has not only done marvelous things with it, but also has a strong presence in the community that mm-hmm. will that will want to come and not only have the experience, but will be grateful that half of the proceeds go to, to that beneficiary. Yeah. So we are going a lot of different places. I'm sure that by the end I'll I'll sort of be cross-eyed and mumbling. <laughs> but you guys are going to get me really fresh. I'll be, you know, from California Good. directly to Seattle. And, Good. and then after that is Rochester and uh, all sorts of places. Yeah. A, an interesting mixed bag of places. Well, the website is dogfilmfestival.com. You can get your tickets there. Definitely get them, you know, pre-purchase your tickets. That's dogfilmfestival.com. I'll post a link to that on our website, which is dogradioshow.com, and also on our Facebook page, so you can get it there as well. And we definitely look forward to being there on Sunday. I can't wait to be with you ladies. Yeah, Sunday, June 26th here in Seattle. That's dogfilmfestival.com. And then you can check out Tracy and all of her shows on the Radio Pet Lady Network, and that is RadioPetLady.com. That's where you can find her show Dog Talk and all of the other great shows that she's got going on. Um, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today, Tracy, and I can't wait to meet you this weekend Me in too. Seattle. And, 
And I'm looking forward to having you coming on to Dog Talk and talking about your profession and how you're able to help people long distance and how valuable that is because really in the end you're just trying to explain to people what their dog's doing. And yeah. uh, it's great that you're able to offer that in places even beyond Seattle. So I'm looking forward to to interviewing you in return or just continuing the conversation. Yeah, great. That's going to be July 25th that I'll be on Dog Talk. Thanks so much for listening today. Thank you, Tracy Hotchner. I look forward to seeing you all this Sunday at the Dog Film Festival. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.